For those of you who are here for the first time this morning, um, or first time in a long time, we've been going through a series on the Ten Commandments. Uh, we spent the last seven times together uh, going through just the Fourth Commandment, the Sabbath Command. And I'm going to do one more message this morning on the Sabbath um, and kind of wrap up the Sabbath and move on to the Fifth Commandment. First uh, Thessalonians 5 verse 21 says, examine everything carefully, hold to what is good. Uh, we need to examine the Sabbath carefully. We need to hold to it. it it's one of those things in, in the series on the Sabbath, uh, a number of you have asked me questions, and I say it's a great question. I don't think it's a big enough question to spend a whole sermon on. Uh, so I've put five of your best questions into this sermon, okay? Instead of um, doing one at a time, that way we can cover more ground. But the Sabbath just, just said, why, why even do that? Why, why spend so much time on the Sabbath? Well, just think about it for a minute. There are 90 passages of Scripture on the Sabbath. That's a huge subject. It's more than some whole books of the Bible. 116 verses on the Sabbath. I could have easily, instead of doing eight sermons, I could have easily done 90 sermons and said, let's look at this passage that talks about the Sabbath in its context and why God has it there. So we could have done a lot more on this subject. It is a big subject. And besides that, think about the application of the Sabbath. The Sabbath comes around every seven days, 52 weeks a year for the rest of your life. That's a, yeah, hallelujah. That's a big subject though. This is not a subject that goes away. This is one we wrestle with every week. Do I get Sabbath right? Do I do it in such a way that I am so enriched? I'm screaming, hallelujah. Thank God for the Sabbath. You know, I was just thinking about I need thee every hour. Yeah, I do. I need God every hour. I need Him every Sabbath. There's times when God shows up that's different than other times. And I was just thinking, I've, I've never done this survey. It'd be fun to have a fellowship night and do this and us take some time to just go around the 400 folks that you know are in the room and say, tell me when you got saved. Can you know, you might not remember the day or an hour, but you know kind of the season. It was when I was young or it was in a different season when I was older. But let's say we gave everybody a day. Let's, say, let's just pick one. Pick the closest day you could come up with and start writing them all down on the calendar. And we might find that after we, we write it down that God has saved all of us on a different day, suppose. So we got 400 days where you say, that's, that's my day with God. That was the day God and I were first introduced. God changed my life. And if we had 400 of those different days, it's like, that's a lot of time with God. Where We're coming together and we are celebrating God's invasion into our lives. And it's a special day. And the Sabbath day is like that. It's a day God has set apart to say, this is our time together. And you might not all have the same day, but this is the day we all come together and we spend it with God. So let's look at some questions that just continues to apply this refreshing ordinance of our God to keep the Sabbath day set apart as special for Him. So 
First question I want us to look at is, why don't we observe a sunset to sunset Sabbath? Some people have asked that question. I thought in the, in the, when the Sabbath command was first ordered, uh, it was the Jewish calendar, and they worked off of a sunset to sunset uh, time frame. Well, that's, that's true. Leviticus 23 clearly says sunset to sunset was their time frame. One of the things we did look at is how Jesus changed the Sabbath from the last day of the week to the first day of the week. And I spent a whole sermon on that, so I'm not going to go back there. But not only did he change from the last day of the week to the first day of the week for the Christian Sabbath and for Sunday being our day with him, but he's also changed it from sunset to sunset to midnight to midnight. And I didn't spend any time on that before, but I want us to look at it just briefly. Look at Luke 24, verse 29. Luke 24, 29. And you see the first day of the week, this is uh, Jesus is meeting with his disciples on the first day of the week after he's been raised from the dead. So Luke 24, verse 29, it says, They urged him. Uh, he's, he's on the road to Emmaus. It's getting dark. They go into the house there. Let me back up just a little bit. He says he acted as if he was going further uh, and like he wasn't going to stay. And so uh, these two saints on the way back home to Emmaus, they urged him, verse 29, strongly saying, stay with us. It's, 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 it's almost evening and the day is now spent. It's like you don't want to be walking in the dark. Jesus does stay with them. And you know this story. And then he, he eats a meal with them and he breaks bread and offers them wine, and they say, ah, this is Jesus. The point I want you to see, when is all of this happening? Jesus is meeting, he's doing really Sabbath activities with the saints. He doesn't stop meeting at sunset. And then he leaves there and immediately goes to the disciples, and he keeps on meeting that night, late into the evening. If that he was going with the sunset to sunset calendar, it would no longer be the first day of the week. It'd now be Monday. It'd be the second day of the week because sunset was gone. But he continues to meet. And you see that example through Christ. You see that example through the apostles from that point on, that they meet into the evening. They don't give us a specific time, but you just see this evening to evening understanding of a day. Also, this is the only way it really makes sense to me to understand the prophecy that Jesus gave about being in the tomb. You remember he told his disciples, the only, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. And I'm going to be in the dark of the earth for three days and three nights. If you use the sunset to sunset, see, that doesn't work. Because you're on the cross on Friday, and the sun is going down. Joseph of Arimathea goes to the officials and says, can I have the body and put him in my tomb? He says the day had gone down before Joseph goes back and takes the body down. So if you're dealing with a sunset to sunset, he's not in the tomb until Saturday. Because the new day has started from sunset to sunset. So he only can possibly be in the tomb from Saturday to partial Sunday, and you got two days, it doesn't fulfill the prophecy. If you go with the evening to evening day, see, all of that changes. 
Now, we use an, an idiom, a figure of speech called synecdoche. And synecdoche is where you can speak about a part of something representing the whole of something. I'm not going to teach English class. Go somewhere else for that. Part for a whole. Part of a day represents a whole of a day. And there's many ways we use this, okay? So, let's go from evening to evening. If he dies on the cross, if he's on the cross... Joseph of Arimathea doesn't get him down until after sunset and puts him in the tomb. It's still Friday. See, we're doing evening to evening. It's still Friday till midnight. So part representing the whole, he's in the tomb on Friday. Part representing the whole, he's in the tomb on Saturday. Part representing the whole, he's in the tomb on Sunday. Three days and three nights. Simple illustration um, if you say, hey, David, I was hoping to spend some time with you this weekend. Can we get together? And I respond, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to spend time with you this weekend. The reason is because I'm going to be gone Friday and Sunday. You don't question me about well, when are you leaving Friday? When are you coming back Sunday? Can we, can we catch it? You know, one, no. I've given you an idiom. You understand I'm gone. I, I've already told you we can't meet. I'm gone Friday to Sunday. You assume a part means the whole. The whole of that day is out of the question for me. And we use it that way. I'm gone all th three days, three nights. Those, take those off your calendar. We can't meet then. I could use the exact same hours Jesus was in the tomb. It's three days and three nights, and it makes sense. And you find many examples of that idiom in the Scripture and in our day-to-day -day language. So... That, to me, gives us a midnight-to-midnight midnight Sabbath. Now, I'm not going to get technical with that, and I'll show you that in a, in a minute, but just wanted to give it. That's the answer. Second question. Let's just move on. How do we possibly keep a whole-day Sabbath? Okay, we got midnight-to-midnight. Midnight. How do we possibly honor God with a 24-hour Sabbath, midnight-to-midnight? Midnight? Some of you say, I'm not even up at midnight on either end. Uh, right, I understand. It's not, it's not hard because at least, let's, let's just generously say about 10 hours of the day is spent sleeping. I'm not saying you sleep, all of you sleep 10 hours. Some of you sleep, sleep 8, some of you 9, some less. But you got the time getting ready for bed, you got the time getting up, all that. In a generous way, that's 10 hours, however you want to do that. Now we're just down to 14 hours, okay? So, oh, well, that's not as hard to do something with 14 as it is to do something with 24. Now you've got 14 hours. Out of those 14 hours, let's say you eat three meals. And you spend at least an hour kind of prepping for the meal, eating the meal, cleaning up after the meal. Maybe spend a little more. That's another four hours just with meals or feast with the Lord. Now you're down to 10 hours. So say you go to church. Time to get to church, time to go home from church, time to worship, time for hospitality, fellowship, discipleship class. You say it's easy to spend another four hours just fellowshipping. Uh, and then, then you, you're down with like six hours left. What are you going to do with those? And we talked about works of piety and works of mercy and works of necessity. You can have people over. You can go to their house. You can do stuff for people that you couldn't do any other time. It's just real easy to spend six hours. That's all we're dealing with. The other time's kind of taken up. And you've got so many opportunities. Uh, Patty and I try to, every Sabbath day, we're usually having family and friends over or we're going to family and friends somewhere and ministering to people and being ministered to. It goes both ways. 
Usually when we're done with the Sabbath day, we're not sitting there thinking, oh, that was drudgery. We're usually sitting there thinking, we didn't have enough time. If we'd have just had more time, we could have done this, this, or this. When you really start looking at it, it's not a day where it's, it's drudgery. It's, it's a day that is a day of great blessing. In Mark chapter 2, keep remembering this, verse um, 27, Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This is God's gift to us. If, if you're doing the Sabbath day and it's not a blessing, you're doing something wrong. You're doing something wrong. If it's drudgery, you're doing something wrong. You should get to the end of the day and say, wow, that was so fulfilling and exciting and such a blessing. There wasn't enough time. There was so much more we could have done. That's the way we want to look towards the Sabbath. It's it's, it's a time to, to taste and see that God is good. Spending time with God. All right, let's move on. Third question. Here's one of the most controversial. Can we eat out on the Sabbath? Can we eat out on the Sabbath? And all of y'all are saying, I hope he's not going to say we can't. Oh, no. Here we go. Look at Deuteronomy 5. Here's the verses we got to deal with. Deuteronomy 5. You're obviously in two camps. Those who say you can't, those who say you can. I've been in both camps for years at a time. Just want you to know, I know how it feels being in, in your place. Okay? Let's, let's see what the answer is, though. Verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave. Deuteronomy 5.15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep... The Sabbath day. Now, back up. Why is he saying that? I want you to keep it. And I want you to remember, you were a slave. In other words, there was a time in your life you didn't have a choice. You either went out to eat when somebody said, let's go out to eat. Or you didn't. Because they said you can't. You didn't have a choice. Verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as long as your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work. You or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or your livestock, or your sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. That's the point. I don't want you to force somebody else into a situation where they can't keep the Sabbath and honor Him. People say when it comes to going out to a restaurant, you are forcing people to work. You think, whoa, well, uh, uh, hmm. You know, and, and it gets complicated. And you struggle with that because not only are you forcing them to work, you're not just forcing people at a restaurant to work. You're forcing them, let's say you're forcing, let's make it a little softer. You're forcing them to make their living on Sunday. Making a living is a work of necessity. Just like eating is a work of necessity. You have to do it. We have to eat. We have to make a living and provide for our families. You're forcing that on Sunday. And it, 
becomes a struggle. How about when you go to institutions, like a medical institution right up the road, where they, um, they're doing a work of necessity, they're doing a work of mercy, and if you go to the hospital, you pay them for room and board. And you eat, whether they bring it to you or you go down, you, you eat at their cafeteria. So you force them to work, right? On the Sabbath day. Or let's say you go into a retirement community or to a university and you pay your room and board. And as you pay your room and board, you eat on Sunday, right? Well, you're paying somebody else to eat at their restaurant, their cafeteria, their place. So you're forcing them. You say, well, that's, you know, you start saying, well, that's different. Really? How different is it? If I eat at my house every Sabbath day, guess what? I am forcing somebody to work. Somebody has to prepare the meal. They might not get paid for it. They get paid differently. But they are forced to put this on out of necessity to keep us alive unless we're going to choose to all fast every Sabbath. See, it starts getting complicated when you look at every scenario and then you move it to different tribal regions and countries uh, all throughout the world. So what can you do and what can you not do? Um, food preparation is, is tough. Um, my preference is to not to go out on Sunday. I prefer just the fellowship, the joy of uh, that fellowship in homes. That's my preference. I've been invited out and I've gone out at times. Is that a sin? See, there was a time when I would have called it that, but I'm not comfortable calling you going out to eat on the Sabbath or you inviting me out to eat with you on the Sabbath. I'm not comfortable calling that a sin. I'm comfortable calling lots of things a sin. If you want me to condemn you and criticize you, okay, let's talk about lust. Let's talk about... Uh, immorality, let's talk about pornography, let's talk about covetousness, let's talk about stealing. I mean, I, I can condemn you, okay? I can criticize you if you want me to, but I would much rather, if I'm going to stick my neck out to criticize and condemn someone, let's do it over something that's very, very, very clear. Instead of coming up with my preference, my preference is not to go out. But if you choose to do that, I'm not sticking my neck to say that sin. Why? Because you notice the passages we studied where the, the Pharisees were coming to Jesus and they were, six different times they criticized him for working on the Sabbath. You're working on the Sabbath. You're out here picking grain. You're going outside to this field with grain. You're picking it. You're plucking it. You're, you're milling it. You're grinding it. You're doing all sorts of work to eat. And you're forcing your disciples to do it too. And Jesus says, no, 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 let's think about works of necessity. Let's think about works of mercy. Let's think about works of piety. And you see over and over again that Jesus comes back with very broad understanding of work on the Sabbath. He says, I've been working every Sabbath since creation. So is my father. He says, you obviously don't understand certain works are legit. And he's very broad in that understanding. He's very generous. He's very kind. He's not critiquing. He's not condemning. 
So there's two camps. You can be in the camp with the Pharisees where you really want to give me a rule. Give me a rule, Jesus. Jesus doesn't give us rules like that. And so, well, I'll make up my own rules. And then you start condemning and criticizing folks. That's what the Pharisees did. You can be in that camp or you can be in the other camp where Jesus is. I don't want to condemn here. I don't want to criticize here. I want us to have our time with God. But I don't want to make it about whether we're out or in, whether we're forcing this or forcing that. I want to be much kinder and much more generous. I'm in the Jesus camp right now. I encourage you to think through that. It's complicated. But I, I don't want us to become a people that are condemning others because your preference isn't the same as my preference. I think we can have different preferences and we can grow uh, at different times in our life without um, getting these hard and fast rules that we can't find in the Scripture. All right, fourth, fourth question. Uh, by the way, yeah, I don't have, a, have so much time I can go through all this, but four different times in the Scripture, Jesus says, don't add to, don't take away from my word. says it in Deuteronomy 4, says it in Deuteronomy 6, excuse me, 12. He says it in Proverbs 30, verse 6, and he says it in Revelation 22, verse 18. Don't add to my word. You're taking away from my word when you do so. Uh, so don't add the rules. Don't add, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, and start adding your rules and your regulations and then condemning people for not knowing what your rules are. You know our rules are, you can't do that, right? You know, and, and you start condemning. Jesus said, no, no, just don't do it that way. I think Jesus' way is, is much kinder, much gentler, much more gracious. All right, question four. How much preparation is required to keep the Sabbath holy? You know, what you do right now might be enough. What you're doing now might be enough. Uh, how much preparation is required to keep the Sabbath holy? Again, it's not arduous. If it was difficult, if it was hard, if it was a, a drudgery, it wouldn't be the, the right understanding of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a blessing. It's made for us to bless us with time with God. You may be doing sufficient preparation for the day. I just want you to remember two things. When, when you're preparing for the Sabbath day, remember both physical preparation and spiritual preparation. Physical preparation is easy, right? You need to get enough sleep. You need to have enough food. You need to stay hydrated. You, the physical stuff you do, you need to have enough time to get to church, to get home, to do all you're going to do. Physical preparation is important. You know, my mom used to lay out our clothes so that we would wear something decent. You know, that kind of thing. Physical preparation. That needs to take place. But I don't want in the midst of that that we forget um, the spiritual preparation, physical preparation. You prepare your home for people to come over and be with you or uh, we prepare our sanctuaries. It's a lot of physical preparation to prepare the sanctuary uh, for 400 folks to trample through it and go out and make sure we've got toilet paper. You know, I get calls sometimes. My wife has gotten called, hey, you don't have toilet paper in the women's bathroom. I'm like, ah, oh, physical preparation. We got to do that stuff. You know, take care of the bathrooms. I'm not saying you should call me for that, please, okay? Um, 
But we think about that stuff. When we are preparing this building, there's a lot of physical preparation to, to the vacuuming, to the cleaning, to checking lights, to checking doors, to checking nurseries, to sanitizing toys. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It takes hours and hours and hours for physical preparation. So yes, you do that to make the Sabbath day wonderful. Spiritual preparation, though, doesn't need to get neglected. Think about what spiritual preparations you need. First of all, you're not going to have time with God. Won't have time with God unless you go through Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one goes to the Father. No one without Christ except through me, he says. So your spiritual preparation, if you want to get to heaven... If you want to get to God, if you want to get to time with God, you must go through Christ. Jesus is the only way to get there. You're not going to do the Sabbath right except through Christ. Time with God can't be had apart from Christ. So first of all, think about your time with God needs to be a time where Christ has changed you. He's sanctified you. He's made you ready. He's prepared you spiritually to meet with a holy God. Second, what can we do to spiritually meet with a holy God? Well, think about any sin we need to deal with and we need to confess. You won't have great time with God without dealing with sin. Another reason we need the Sabbath day. You remember Isaiah 58? You can turn there real quick. Isaiah 58, we talked about how the Sabbath is a delight. And this passage was used to confront um, Sinners who were breaking the Sabbath. They were doing a very poor job of the Sabbath. And God says, you need to get out of what you're doing and get into a situation where the Sabbath is a delight for you. So you see that in Isaiah 58, verse 13. Call the Sabbath a delight. And you see on down further, um, verse 14. Then you shall take delight in the Lord. So the day becomes a delight because you're meeting with the Lord. The Lord becomes a delight. What were they doing? If you go back to verse 1 of Isaiah 58, he declared to, said, Isaiah declared to my people their transgressions to the house of Jacob, their sin. Uh, they're messing up, and they don't get it right, so it's not a delight. If we go one more chapter, chapter 59, then he gives us a solution. Behold, chapter 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand's not so shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God says, I, 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 I want to help you out. I want to listen to your prayers. He says, I can still hear very well. My hand's still long enough to reach you and do whatever you need. He says, but we're not having good time together. You're not delighting in the Lord. And the reason you're not delighting in the Lord is because you moved. There's a separation between you and God. And the reason that separation is between you and God is because you're sinning. Deal with the sin. Repent of the sin. Turn from the sin. And delight in the Lord that God wants to forgive those who run to Him in repentance. He says, and then we'll be close. And then we'll talk. And then we'll have fellowship. Then you'll have healing. Then you'll... At the end of the day, say, what a delightful time in the Lord and in the day. And that's where we want to get to. That can't happen without spiritual preparation. 
So you need the physical, but don't stop there. The, the physical, the spiritual preparation is coming through Christ, throwing off our sin between us and God. There's also other sin. Matthew chapter 5 says, you know, you come into a time of worship and you, realize, you remember, oh, I've got this thing with somebody and I'm not reconciled. I'm still fighting in my mind. All I'm thinking about is how we're not right. He says, go deal with that. Get reconciled with one another and then come and present your gifts to God. Worship is not good when you're constantly thinking about your sin or somebody else's sin against you. Go and deal with that and get at peace with your brother. Again, that spiritual preparation that needs to happen so that we can meet with God and, and, and really make the day a wonderful day. Um, one other passage that I think about as I think about preparation, and that's taking the Lord's Supper. And you've heard it so many times from me. Uh, again, I'm not, I won't uh, labor it, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 a big passage on the Lord's Supper. And after you get into it a little further, it says, um, verse 27 says, whoever eats, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So you're not going to get the blessings of worship time with God where the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is instituted and observed unless you spiritually examine yourself. Think about that before the preacher says, examine yourself. It comes every Lord's Day to examine yourself to see whether or not you can take the bread and the cup in an unworthy fashion. So I get the question here is, well, I don't want to take it in an unworthy fashion, so what is a worthy taking of the bread and drinking of the cup. Look at Luke 18. This is the easiest explanation I have found for that question. Luke chapter 18. Here it's talking about two men coming before God uh, in prayer, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And I just want to focus in on the tax collector uh, for that part. Luke 18, verse 10 says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself, he prayed. He said, thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like that tax collector. You know, I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. And here's, here's the more worthy example, verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. What's the difference? The tax collector says, I am unworthy. When you think of the question, what is a worthy participant before God? Think of, Jesus says, the worthy participant is the one who sees he is unworthy. I'm not worthy. I didn't earn the blood of Christ. I didn't earn the grace that Christ gave to me. I'm unworthy. I'm a sinner. Whenever you take the Lord's Supper, just check yourself. God, am I coming? Because, you know, I am somebody. I'm, you know, I am somebody. I've, I've done this, this, and this. Or do you say, God, again, I'm unworthy of any sign being on me or in me that I am cleansed of all sin because I'm so dirty with sin. 
I'm an unworthy sinner, and yet you want to spend time with me. And so our response then is to God, you're so gracious to come after sinners and to spend time with sinners. Lord Jesus, I praise you and adore you. See, that's the right way. You take the Lord's Supper wrongly if you're thinking, ah, it's just a ritual, it won't, won't matter one way or the other, and you forget, no, God's in the room. He's spiritually present, and he afflicts some with sickness and disease and even death for taking the Lord's Supper wrongly because it matters to him, and he watches us as we take, and he wants us to spiritually be prepared. We're prepared when we spiritually come before God and say, I'm an unworthy sinner. My only hope is that Christ gives his life in this, like this broken bread is given to me. My only hope is that Christ spilled his blood to cleanse me from sin like this wine being poured into me. That's when we're worthy to take of the Lord's Supper. That's spiritual preparation. And I encourage you to have that. Whatever you do in your preparation for the Lord's Day, so I want to make this day the Lord's Day. To me, the easiest, clearest example is this is the Lord's day. It's made for me to get a benefit of the Lord. So my focus needs to be a God-focused. I've always tried to tell my kids, my family, hey, can we go take a hike? Can we go run? Can we go down to the lake? Can we play ball? Can we have people over? I said, yes, 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 yes. I said, but can you... Think about how to do that with a God focus. That it's the Lord's day. Can, can you prepare even now before you take that move to the next thing? What can we do to prepare it to be a God focused time? Can it be a time where we're really thinking about the other that we've invited over and we're trying to build up and edify in some way? Is it a time we pray for them now before they come? Maybe pray for them after? Maybe pray with them? It's just, is the focus a God focus? So it's, we recognize God designed this day to bless. Let's get the blessing out of it. Let's get the benefit. Let's prepare ourselves physically and spiritually for this blessing that God wants to give us with time. All right, fifth thing. How do we teach the Sabbath to our children? Great question. It's pertinent to this command over all the rest of them. Go back to the command, Exodus 20, 9 through 10. I, I read it in Deuteronomy 5 as well. I just want you to see it both places. It's listed. Exodus 20, 9 and 10. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the Sabbath is the Sabbath of the Lord our God. On it, you. Now, who's the you? So he's directing this command to a specific person. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter. So it's a parent. He's talking to a mom or a dad. He's talking to an authority figure, the head of a household, who has female servants and male servants, etc. So it's very particular that God wants parents to train their children to do the Sabbath right. The commands even brings that into play. You need to be the one to be the teacher of this. So how do you teach your children? 
about the Sabbath. I'll give you three quick reasons. Um, think about your example. So many things, I mean, you look through your life, so many things you have learned in life, you have caught more than you've been taught, right? You catch so much just by looking at people, listening to people, watching their example. Your kids catch more than maybe you ever teach them verbally because they can point, they can point out a hypocrite like that, right? We all can well, Mom and Dad, you said this, but you did something else. And which of the two do they follow? What you said or what you do? So sharpen your example. They're going to start living and doing life the way you live and do life. And think about the beauty of this. Because if they get the Sabbath through you, it's liable to go two, three, four generations. There's a every Sunday example. This is what we did when we were kids. And the kids grow up and what do we do? Well, let's go back and do what we did. And this example goes on and on and on. So think about your example, how you do the Lord's Day. Is the Lord's Day something that you, you, you communicate to your kids through your example? It's essential or it's optional? Is the Lord's Day a day where, ah, one more Sunday, or, wow, what a delight, a delightful day we've had today. They're going to pick up on that example. It's going to be easy for them to catch it. And if it's truly a day of blessing and delight, like God asked us to make it, they're going to want it. It's like, when's, when's the next Sunday? When's it coming around? I always, we would, we would pray, say, how can we make our family look forward to Sunday? It's like, ah, oh, I can't wait. Tomorrow's Sunday. <laughs> Great, awesome. It's a good day. It's a day of delight. It's a day of joy. And I, I think sometimes we don't think about our example, how that's coming across. And it is the day the Lord has made, and we should rejoice and be glad in it. Second, recognize God's enrichment. Again, Mark 2, verse 27 says, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Think about the enrichment of that. God wants to do something on the Sabbath day that he hasn't specifically said he's, he's going to just do nonchalantly every day. And there are things that happen on the Sabbath day that don't happen on other days. Obviously, the sacraments of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, don't happen other days. The gathering of the church into one place, so you don't just have the preaching of the Word through one instrument declaring God's will to you, but you have the whole body of saints filled with God's Spirit, with all the gifts of the Spirit being poured out in one place. And, and you're in the presence of God when you're in the presence of God's people. And you get that. Think about the, the richness of that. Do you ever think about that? I think about when I talk to non-Christians. Ask them three questions. They don't know the answers. Where do you come from? Why are you here? And where are you going? Ask them. You'll get a plethora of answers. Where do you come from? Who made you? God made me. 
I'm a divine creation. Woven together in my mother's womb. Intricately made in the image of my God. I know where I came from. I know why I'm here. To enjoy God and to glorify Him. And I know where I'm going. I'm going to heavenly mansions prepared for me. I'm going to a place where there's unlimited ability and work to do that's significant for the glory of God. We get that. We get a taste of that every Sunday. The world doesn't get it. Think about how rich that is. To be in the presence of God. To know where you came from. To know why you're here. To know where you're going. And to be edified and encouraged in that week after week after week. So that there's no day in your life that was without value or significance. The glory and beauty of that happens on the Sabbath day. Teach that to your kids. By example and by recognizing the richness that's only found on this day as God's people stop to focus on Jesus and all he provides. And then third, don't despise the children's energy. One of the biggest temptations, we say, oh man, they're just bouncing off the wall and all I want to do is take a nap. Don't despise that. God made it that way. Think about ways you can use that energy. Let them run. Let them bounce off the wall. Let them enjoy the Lord's day. And design things so that that can happen. So they can see the delight and the beauty. God never said, you know, the, fifth, the fourth commandment is a commandment where everybody goes and takes naps. That's what we want to make it. And we miss the richness that our kids need to learn from us. Well, I've run out of, of my time, but uh, I hope that helps. And I hope uh, you take away, your takeaway today is just, wow, it's, it's cool that we have a God who wants to spend a day with us. And he wants a date with us. He wants that day every week. And he wants it for the rest of our lives. And then he wants to expand our thinking. He says, I want you to enter into heaven. I want you to enter into a Sabbath rest for eternity. I want you to see the richness and the delight of your Sundays on earth just get blown to such proportions. You said, I never thought it could be this good or would be this way. That your eyes have never even thought that far. Our minds have gone that far. That's what God wants for us. And that's how he defines heaven, is being a day like this that just gets bigger and better and never stops. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the Sabbath day, the wonder of it, the joy of it. For, forgive us for making it so sour through rules and condemnations and critiques that we've missed the blessing and the beauty and the delight. But ultimately, when we miss it on the day, we miss it in the Lord. And Lord, more and more, we need you to be our delight, our satisfaction, our love, our joy.
Thank you, Father, again for this short time together. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.